reader should be able to communicate what a story is really about in a short paragraph. And if they can't, it's likely that they're trying to do too much and therefore will likely lose the readers or they're having trouble condensing the story into a pitch. And you need a condensed pitch in order to engage someone into buying the book. To help you condense a pitch, I encourage readers to highlight these big elements in a story, the main character and what makes that character unique, their goal, and the big conflict that stands in the way. Granted, this is a basic template that I use particularly for fiction writers, for fiction books, and it may or may not work for nonfiction books, although it should work for memoirs since memoirs read like fiction. Since Griffin's book blends memoir with nonfiction elements and memoirs should read like works of fiction, I do think you can use this template to pitch read until you understand. Thank you so much for joining me for today's special bonus episode. Today, I'm sharing my review and analysis of the first chapter in Dr. Farrah Jasmine Griffin's book, Read Until You Understand, The Profound Wisdom of Black Life and Literature. This author and book are represented by principal literary agent Tanya McKinnon of McKinnon Literary Agency, which I interviewed in a previous episode. I'm Abigail Perry, the host of Lit Match and a certified developmental editor who also worked as an editorial intern at a literary agency. I'm always looking for noteworthy literary agents, authors, and books who are making big differences in the world. As a guideline for today's episode, I'm going to look at the big picture and small picture of Griffin's beautiful first chapter and how it establishes expectations for the book and Hook's readers. To do this, I'll use seven key questions that author and literary agent Paula Minet shares in her book on story beginnings called The Writer's Guide to Beginnings. I'll use these seven questions to look at the big picture, and then what I'm going to do is zero in on the scene level to examine the structure and how the five commandments taken from story grid indicate a scene change in movement in the work. It's also important to note that while I am an editor, the analysis of any work of literature is to some degree subjective. This is why I strongly believe in using the Socratic learning method when analyzing books and stories and why I want to emphasize that while I see something and how it works in one way, you might not see it that way or another agent or author might not see it that way. It's always important to share our ideas and our analysis and this helps us come closer to learning what makes really great literature and storytelling. As we go over the tools, I'd like you to think of these tools as a way to provide you as a writer or a reader an opportunity to discuss your reaction and understanding of a story with purpose. So take today's episode and all my bonus episodes for what they're worth. If you see something differently, that's absolutely okay. Through thoughtful discussion and debate, we can discuss the important question of why a book works and then ideally acquire and carry over these analysis and reading skills into our own writing. Writers who read and read deeply become better writers and writers who read a variety of genres become even better writers than those who don't. I'm genuinely excited to go on this analytical journey and engage in discussion with you. Before we get into the analysis, I'd like to give you a little more information on the brilliant author in this episode's featured book. Farrah Jasmine Griffin is the William B. Ransford Professor of English and Comparative Literature and African-American Studies at Columbia University. She also served as the inaugural chair of the African-American and African Diaspora Studies. Professor Griffin received her BA in History and Literature from Harvard and her PhD in American Studies from Yale. She is the author or editor of eight books, including 
Who Set You Flowin', The African-American Migration Narrative, If You Can't Be Free, Be a Mystery, In Search of Billie Holiday, and Harlem Nocturne, Women Artists in Progressive Politics During World War II. As I mentioned earlier, Farrah Jasmine Griffin is represented by Tanya McKinnon. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to Tanya's episode yet, I highly recommend it, especially if you write memoir and nonfiction and write multicultural and African-American work that confronts the chaos of reality and pushes readers beyond the boundaries, like Griffin's book, Read Until You Understand, does. To give you a taste of where the book starts, I'm going to read the first pages in the first chapter of Read Until You Understand, and after that, we'll move into the analysis. Chapter 1. Legacy, Love, Learning. My formal study of African-American history and literature did not begin until college. My love of them began much earlier with my father, who believed teaching was an act of love. Because I adored my father and cherished being with him, I experienced learning as love. A natural-born storyteller, he would make our weekly visits to the public library, bookstores, and many of Philadelphia's historic landmarks come alive. The history of the nation's founding was more than a rendering of facts. Through my father's eyes, it became an epic tale of bold and courageous characters challenging stuffy old men in Europe. His telling were cinematic in their sense of adventure. An old fedora became a tree-cornered hat like those worn by the 18th century Philadelphians who changed the course of history. On days off from his job as a welder at the Sun Shipbuilding Company in Chester, Pennsylvania, after work and on the weekend, he took me to Philadelphia's Alfres Alley, the nation's oldest residential street, to Independence Mall and to the various sites that surround it. He purchased copies for me of the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights, which were reproduced in parchment paper for tourists and history buffs. Before I started school, he had me memorize and recite the preamble of the, of the Constitution, the opening of the Declaration of Independence, the Gettysburg Address, and the Presidents of the United States, all the skills he had learned as a Philadelphia schoolboy during the Depression. He followed my recitations with questions. What do you think that means? Let's look up that word and use it in a sentence. This was not a practice he reserved for me, nor did he do it out of recognition of my intellectual precocity. My cousins, my older sister Myra, and her children all received the same instruction. My father's lessons did not derive from an uncritical patriotism. At times, I think he exposed me to our nation's founding fathers and the ideals they espoused, so I would understand the enormity of the transgression, the enormity of the betrayal. Along with the founding fathers, he also introduced me to Toussaint Louverture, Nat Turner, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, the Black Panther Party, and Angela Davis. He held dear intellectual freedom fighters who risked their lives to combat not only the men and women who oppressed them, but also the system of oppression itself. We read and discussed the Panthers' 10-point program, which appeared on the back of the party's newspaper, and he pointed out the similarities to the Declaration of Independence. The Black Panther, along with Muhammad Speaks, Black World, the Philadelphia Tribune, and a bevy of other Black publications, showed how divided, as a nation, our understanding of events and actions could be. For instance, although mainstream print and broadcast media portrayed Angela Davis as a dangerous communist and a fugitive from the law who was on the FBI's most wanted list, these Black publications described Sister Angela as a brilliant philosopher committed to the project of freedom. These publications also showed that Black thinkers articulated a sense of Black history and culture that stretched beyond the borders of the United States. Thus, my father used them to introduce me to figures such as Kwame Nkrumah, first Prime Minister and President of Independent Ghana, Joma Kenyatta, Prime Minister and President of the Republic of Kenya, 
Patricia Lumumba, first democratically elected Prime Minister of Congo, and others, all founding fathers of modern Black nations engaged in the intellectually rigorous process of nation building. Now that you brought a taste for Ferris' book, it's time for my analysis and beliefs on why this book hooks readers from the first pages and chapter. In previous bonus episodes that feature first chapters, I've started with the five commandments in scene structure. Today, I'd like to switch things up and look at the big picture first, then zero in on the scene level and how the structure works in the first chapter. To look at the big picture, I will use the seven key questions to ask about first chapters that are shared in The Writer's Guide to Beginnings by Paul Munet. This book is chock full of actionable and direct advice on writing the beginning of your book, including the seven questions, and I recommend it to every writer. These questions are, what kind of story is it? What is the story really about? Who is telling the story? Which character should they care about most? Where and when does the story take place? How should they feel about what's happening? And why should they care what happens next? If you're familiar with Paula's book, you probably understand these questions. But if you're not, don't worry. I'm going to explain each of the questions before diving into my analysis and using greed until you understand as an example. The first question focuses on genre asking the question, what kind of story is this? The beginnings of a manuscript should read like its genre. Even a title will establish the story's genre, and these expectations should carry over into the first pages. If a title indicates one genre and the pages counter this expectation, you risk confusing and losing your readers. Books that clearly establish genre from the first pages are less likely to lose readers and make it more likely that a literary agent and author will know how to sell it, publisher will know how to market it, and booksellers will know how to shelve it. Read Until You Understand is a blend of memoir, art, history, and literary criticism. The first chapter of the book makes this clear with how Griffin starts with a personal story from her life. Mainly, the content focuses on her relationship with her father and how he instilled a love for learning African-American history and literature. The story of her relationship with her father and her family works like bookends, pulling the reader into Griffin's personal life and experiences first, and then taking us deeper into her actual literary criticism of various works of Black literature, specifically Toni Morrison in a book that I will talk about in a little bit. Griffin shares how her father first taught her and that became, quote, my inheritance, my legacy, end quote, after her father's death. Before the first chapter ends, Griffin returns to a commentary about her personal life and how the literature that she learned and loved influenced her perspective on her childhood and how this, quote, knowledge made me especially aware of and grateful for the care given to me by my family and to my mother and me by both her family and our neighbors following my father's death, end quote. It's clear by the last page in the first chapter that this story will blend Griffin's life story and how African-American literature and history helps shape her into the individual and scholar she becomes. Griffin's voice acts as a mentor and advocate for Black art, history, and politics in a way that readers can connect, become aware of if they aren't already, and become better for it. The second question focuses on plot, and the question is, what is the story really about? Literary agents might have trouble selling a story if they can't pitch the big ideas and what it's really roughly about in around 50 words. In the same way, writers and readers should be able to communicate what a story is really about in a short paragraph, and if they can't, it's likely that they're trying to do too much and therefore will likely lose the readers, or that they're just having trouble condensing the story into a pitch, and you need a condensed pitch in order to engage someone and to buy the book. To help you condense a pitch, I encourage readers to highlight these big elements in a story, the main character and what makes that character unique, their goal, and the big conflict that stands 
the way. Granted, this is a basic template that I use particularly for fiction writers, for fiction books, and it may or may not work for nonfiction books, although it should work for memoirs since memoirs read like fiction. Since Griffin's book blends memoir with nonfiction elements and memoirs should read like works of fiction, I do think you can use this template to pitch read until you understand. And as a small sidebar, I do have some diction in here that comes from various back cover copy that I found across the internet. Here's my best pitch for it. Read Until You Understand is a blend of memoir, history, and art written by scholar and professor Dr. Farrah Jasmine Griffin. Griffin weaves memoir with her love for Black literature and history and how her years rooted in legacy of books that her father bequeathed her taught her about the magnificence of Black life. Griffin was encouraged by her father to, quote, read until you understand, end quote, and Griffin takes us deep into her library filled with Black genius that guided her life. With each work she examines, she challenges readers to grapple with the continuing struggle for Black freedom, the ongoing project that is American democracy, and our individual and commutative moral duties to all humanity. Question number three looks at point of view or POV. The question is, who is telling the story? The first chapter should clearly establish point of view or POV, and the POV character is often the protagonist, and readers need to know right away who is telling the story and the limitations of that point of view choice. There are three main types of POV, first person, third person limited, and third person omniscient. And there are other options like second person, but these are less common. Books may also include multiple point of views, and in these cases, the point of view will shift either in scene or chapters, but no book should contain head hopping or when a POV shifts within a scene. Regardless of what POV you choose, a strong choice is necessary for great books, and it's not uncommon for an agent or editor to pass in a story that lacks a defining voice or embrace one that is exceptional. Read Until You Understand is written in first person, mixed with her academic analysis of various works of literature. Griffin's voice is personal and honest when she shares her life and the vulnerabilities, and it maintains that level of sophistication and intelligence when she moves into her analysis. The areas of analysis take on just slightly a more or less attached point of view, although I say less attached than detached because never did I, as a reader, feel like Griffin had stopped speaking to me directly in an intimate conversation between a scholar and mentor, helping me learn and understand these works of literature clearly. Question number four is about character, and the question is, which character should we care about the most? No story works without a memorable character. Readers keep reading a story because they want to see how a protagonist turns out or what they have to say. Readers follow a protagonist who is sympathetic, placed in a situation that demands a reader's attention, and is forced to make tough decisions that come with stakes. Read Until You Understand follows Griffin as the protagonist, since this is her memoir, and we as readers listen closely to her as she shares her insights gained from years rooted in Black literature and history. How this book begins immediately connects Griffin to the readers because it starts with an extremely vulnerable and low moment in Griffin's life, her retelling of the day that her father died. She does this also after briefly showing us the unconditionally loving and unique man that her father was and how deeply profound and special their relationship as father and daughter was. Griffin's undertaking of her father's encouragement to read until you understand 
is the mark of a courageous and curious soul and mind willing to tackle hard topics and spend time with them in order to gain truth and understanding about Black lives and the work not discussed enough across all people. She indicates how these works of literature are going to teach us about the ongoing struggle for Black people freedom, as well as the ongoing project of American democracy. After her father's death, Griffin is faced with the choice to read and study the books and records that her father leaves behind or dismiss it. Griffin chooses to embrace her father's library and devotes her life to passing down what her father left her and additional geniuses who she comes to learn in her lifetime, namely the first chapter's focus, Toni Morrison. From a reader's perspective, I'm also left in awe at Griffin's brilliant criticisms of Toni Morrison's novel, The Bluest Eyes, and the deep meaning of outdoors and how outdoors is used in various works of Black art and literature. At the end of this first chapter, from my reader's perspective, I sincerely want to learn more from Griffin, and I'm excited to follow Griffin as she guides me through the work that she has dedicated her life to understanding. Question number five is about setting, and the question is, where and when does the story take place? Readers should understand the story's setting, the time, and the place from the beginning. Establishing setting also establishes tone, which is important for your story's genre. The setting in a story should be unique to the story and setting should play a role in shaping the plot and the characters by challenging them in a way that creates suspense and meaning. Read until you understand. Starts with the story of Griffin's life in Chester, Pennsylvania. This location, a pivotal location that speaks to Americans' beginnings of democracy, is unique to the story and acts as an interlude for Griffin's father's love for history and how he would challenge her to study important historical documents like the Declaration of Independence and the Preamble to the Constitution and history about the Founding Fathers, as well as what I shared in the first pages, the enormity of their transgression, the enormity of their betrayal. Griffin's father continued to educate Farib about Black historical figures and artists, and all of these lessons connect back to the importance of this book's setting, America. This is a deeply American book about influential Black lives and how they influenced America, and by reading it, readers can learn whether or not it's something that they know closely, that they may have overlooked or not been educated about, or that they may have failed to understand. Plus, all this is connected back to the very human story driving and connecting this entire book, the life of Farrah Jasmine Griffin, and how she grew and changed because of the studies that she undertook. As Farrah changes, we as readers have the opportunity to change with her, and we get to see the work that has changed her life and how she shares and teaches that content with people in and out of her classrooms. Question number six is about the core emotion, and this question is for the reader. How should they feel about what's happening? Readers want to feel something when they read, and the first pages are no exception. From the first pages, the reader should sense the driving emotion, and it should carry over and build throughout the book. In her book, Paula says that, quote, the sooner you can evoke emotion in your readers, the sooner you draw them into your story, end quote. What is the emotion and how does the story in its first pages successfully do this? Read until you understand sparks a variety of emotions in me. I feel sympathetic and inspired by Griffin and how she engages with her father. Sadness for his death and frustration at the medical assumption that he was drunk and there was a failure to strap down his stretcher. I'm in awe of Griffin's unquestionable embrace of her father's library. Curious alongside her and what we're going to learn and what's to come, I have a great appreciation for authors like Toni Morrison, 
and through Griffin's analysis, I developed this sincere, eager desire to learn from these works. And all of these emotions are encapsulated in a great longing to learn, to be better, to understand human motivations, and to become more empathetic and aware of individuals as well as cultures, communities, and a country. That's a lot of emotions to feel in one chapter. Hence why Griffin does such an amazing job. I'm so curious to hear what you felt after reading this first chapter. The seventh and final question is about stakes. The question is, why should they, again, being the reader, why should they care what happens next? This question deals with three factors. Here's what each entails. One, the action happens as the story opens. The first pages and first chapters shouldn't be filled with backstory or obsessive telling. Something interesting needs to happen, and that something interesting should force the characters to make a crisis decision. Number two is about the premise of the story. The premise is a starting point of the story, and it grounds the big idea of what's to come. And the third point is about the big ideas of the story. And this is a story's hook and what grabs the readers. If you want readers to care about what happens next, look at your story opening. Is something happening in the first scene and chapter that forces a protagonist to make a crisis decision? How does this action and decision relate to the premise of the story and the big idea that makes your story stand out and move forward? Read Until You Understand opens with one, Griffin's loving relationship with her father and his death, which leaves her with this inheritance and a decision to continue educating herself in the library that he loved and made her or abandon it. Point number two, the premise of the story. The premise of the story deals with how Griffin broods herself and studying Black literature and history and how lessons like the meaning of outdoors and Toni Morrison's book can teach us about ourselves and our country. It also calls us to come together and strive to understand and appreciate and support all humanity. Point number three, the big idea of the story is based on Griffin's life and how the inheritance she bequeathed from her father left her with various works from the Black community and its remarkable artists and thinkers. Through her criticism and comprehension, readers can similarly, can similarly have their perspectives opened and become better for it. So those are the seven key questions when you look at first chapters that focus on the big picture of the book. They create the expectations of what this book is really going to be about. And those expectations, and this is really important, must be fulfilled. Now let's zero in and look at the small picture. And to do this, we're going to use the five commandments taken from StoryGrid to analyze the scene and the structure of that scene in the first chapter of Read Until You Understand. If you're familiar with Story Grid and the Five Commandments, awesome. If you're not, don't worry. I'm going to explain each of the five commandments and walk you through it while, again, using Read Until You Understand as an example. Before we can analyze with the five commandments, we need to understand the story event and what the main character wants in the scene. A story event is a positive or negative change for one or more characters as a result of a conflict. This can be a character's desire clashing with the force of antagonism. Think of this as as the logline for your scene and how it pulls out a change in the scene based on conflict between the main character and the force of antagonism. Read Until You Understand has a story event of something like this. Farrah Jasmine Griffin enjoys a childhood with her loving father who pushes her to educate herself. But when Farrah's father dies and leaves her an inheritance of books and records, Farrah must decide to continue her education without him or not. So that's the story event. Now let's look at the character Wonter Goal. And because Farrah's the main character, we're going to look at Farrah's 
want or goal in this scene. Farrah's goal in this scene is to educate herself about Black history and literature because of her admiration and love for her father and his love for this. The death of her father is what interrupts this goal, which we'll see impacts the Five Commandments and forces her to make a crisis decision. Now let's get into the Five Commandments. The first commandment is called an inciting incident. This is the unexpected event that gets in the way of a character trying to accomplish their goal. It's also the first sign of conflict in the scene and it will cause the character to come up with a new scene goal or it's going to force the character to adjust their initial single. The inciting incident is either causal, meaning it's caused by a person, or coincidental, meaning it's caused by a coincidence. The inciting incident in the first chapter in Read Until You Understand is when Farrah's father encourages her to learn about Black history and literature. The second commandment is called the turning point. Before the turning point, there are moments of escalating conflict, which StoryGrid calls progressive complications, that lead to a turning point progressive complication. The turning point is different from these previous progressive complications, because they force the character into a crisis, meaning that even if the character ignores the turning point, there will be consequences. The turning point is an action, something physical happens, or a revelation, the character gets new information that forces the character into a crisis decision and there will inevitably be consequences that happen because of it. And remember that consequences don't always have to be bad. The turning point in Read Until You Understand is when Farrah's father dies and leaves her with his inheritance of his library. Commandment number three is the crisis. The character faces a crisis decision or question about how to move forward and the decision they will make comes inevitably with consequences. The crisis is either a best bad choice, meaning that there are two equally bad things that happen, or an irreconcilable goods decision, but this choice could negatively impact a third party, essentially the inverse of a best bad choice. Based on the turning point, Griffin faces a crisis of, should she embrace her father's inheritance and read and study African-American literature and history without him, or should she set this legacy aside? How Farrah chooses to act in her crisis will result in the climax. Commandment number four is the climax, and this is the action that shows how your character makes their crisis decision. This action also shows the reader who the character really is, since actions define character more than what a character says. The climax, and read until you understand, is when Farrah decides to read and study the pages and sounds that her father left behind. She says, quote, driven by my desire to make sense of and give meaning and order to a life forever unavailable to me, I chased him in the ideas he bequeathed me, end quote. And just as I know, that's a really beautiful line. The fifth and final commandment is called the resolution. This shows how the character's decision works out for them. It also details the result of that character's action and confirms that there has been a value shift in character and plot change in the scene. The resolution I read until you understand is that Farrah's inheritance becomes her life's work. She says that, quote, as I began to read and later study the novels, essays, and poems written by American Blacks, I learned that this body of literature bore witness to both the hypocrisy and the promise of the nation. It's the end of the quote. Farrah goes on to share the names of some of these writers and focuses especially on Toni Morrison, who, quote, shaped the way I saw and thought about the world, end quote, and how she, quote, painstakingly reveals the ways whiteness has been the greatest threat to the democracy we claim to hold so dear, end quote. Farrah then gives some literary criticism about Morrison's first novel, The Bluest Eyes, and what Morrison means by outdoors. Farrah ends the scene in chapter with her conclusion that she never fell 
outdoors thanks to her father, the books and records he left her, and their house that they owned and that her mother turned into a home. The knowledge that she was never a, quote, throwed away child made her, quote, especially grateful for the care given to me by my family and to my mother and me by both our family and our neighbors following my father's death, end quote. Farrah ends with final lines that express how her father's book provided a sense of safety and security, a space and a context in which to be granted the freedom to read, to imagine, to develop a sense of self, to expect possibility and to see limitations as but an inconvenience whenever possible to overcome, end quote. Farrah's decision to take on the works that her father left behind are keys that unlocked her way of living and gave her a chance at her best career in life. It's so beautiful. The words are so beautiful. It's definitely getting you to read chapter two. All right, one last thing in addition to the commandments. We talked about before how story event and how character wants me to see a value shift in the scene. That is what ensures that there is a change in the scene and you need change in order to advance the plot and develop characters. Before I give my opinion on how to word the value shift for the scene, I like to remind listeners that there are no perfect words for a value shift and no reader is ever going to analyze a scene at this level. However, being able to identify a value shift and understand why this value shift occurs will make you a strong writer and editor of your work. It also confirms if that change exists. And this can be a positive change or a negative change. Regardless, it's significant and it impacts the big picture of the story as well as a change on the scene level. Based on how the commandments challenge Farah, I think the best value shift is internal, reflecting the worldview spectrum with something like curious to pursuit of a sophisticated and meaningful life. There is technically a change on the external side of things. I think that you could say something like father to fatherless due to death or mentored by her father to mentored by her father's books and records. But since the big picture of the story, in my opinion, is first and foremost an internal one, I'd choose the internal shift above the external ones, although an internal shift won't happen unless there's an external change in a scene. And those are the five commandments. Looking back at all of this, whether or not you're writing a memoir mixed with nonfiction elements like Read Until You Understand or a different genre, first chapters will make or break a book. They are staples in a writer's ability to hook their readers and make a sale and connect with them on a human level. First chapters also establish the expectations for a story. And if a first chapter is well-written, this is the quality of writing and storytelling that carries throughout the book. When a writer learns how to write a great first chapter, they learn how to become a better writer by intentionally using writing tools and methodologies to make their book great. Farrah Jasmine Griffin's writing is a brilliant example of an engaging first chapter that hooks readers from page one. If you'd like to read Griffin's book, you can find it in the show notes. That's all I have for today's bonus episode. I hope that these resources give you what you need to polish the first chapter of your book. I'll provide links to Ferris book, to Paula's book, and other resources in the show notes. I hope that this episode inspired you to read, read until you understand. It did for me. If you read it, I would love to hear what you think about it. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the previous episodes that I've shared on Lint Match, I genuinely would appreciate if you wrote a review and rated this podcast. This helps me reach more writers like you who are trying to find a literary agent and who want to mature their writing craft and ability to hook readers from the very beginning of their manuscripts. If you have any questions or comments and would like to contact me personally, send me an 
email at abigailkperry at gmail.com and I will do my best to answer you. I hope you'll join me next week for more conversations with literary agents and my first chapter analysis in these bonus episodes. As always, I can't wait to hear when you signed with the best literary agent and business partner for your writing career. I also can't wait to celebrate your book when it comes out.